You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Amazing, amazing, amazing God you are. Thank you, Father, that we can come and worship you today in this place in freedom, in truth, and in grace. And God, I pray today a simple prayer. Would you cause every heart here to see the glory of the living God and to delight with all of our beings in who you are, in what you've done and what you are doing for your own name's sake. Father, would you meet us now as we open up your word and open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to encounter you, the living God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. You can flip with me in your Bibles to Psalm uh, chapter 37. Uh, as you get there, though, there's a, a group of people in our, our midst that I want to acknowledge today with another prayer before I get into the Word. I'm going to pray again. Um, if, if you're here and you're going on the youth missions trip to Costa Rica, leaving, uh, I guess it's Friday night, I guess it's Saturday morning, really, um, can you not just put your hand up? Can you stand up today? I know I'm putting you on the spot, but you're going to be put on the spot for a whole week after this, so get used to it. So uh, youth, if you're here and you go on the missions trip or you're a leader, would you stand up, please? Uh, this is exciting for us as a church. Uh, we have our first ever missions trip with youth going out to Costa Rica for a week. And so we're excited to partner with them. You've been praying for them with your green bracelets you've been putting around your house or places to, uh, to um, remind you to pray for them. And so we're expecting that God's going to do great things, not just through them, uh, but also in them. So pray for Andy and the leaders and the youth as they go. And they're going to have so many opportunities to minister and to grow in their faith in the Lord. And so I just want to pray for them before they go. And I want to remind you to pray for them uh, all week. And so they're leaving on 2.30 Saturday morning and not coming back to the next week. So pray for them. You can stay standing. I know it's awkward. Is it awkward? Yeah? Good. Um, it just means we love you. That's what parents do when they love their kids. That's what pastors do when they love their students. And so uh, we just want to pray for you. So let's unite our hearts right now and, uh, and uh, pray for Andy, Pastor Andy, and the students and the leaders as they go to Costa Rica. Uh, God, we thank you uh, for all that you're doing within our student ministry, for uh, bringing Andy to us and, and Andrea this summer, and for just seeing how you're moving and how you're shaping and how you're growing the students uh, under their leadership. It's so encouraging for us as a congregation to see the next generation coming up with a, uh, a solid framework of the, the gospel, with, a, with hearts that want to love you and serve you. And God, as evidenced in this room right here, uh, some of the students that are going, uh, Father, thank you for them. Thank you for what they mean to us as a church and for the, how they even and encourage and inspire us in our faith. And God, as we watch them go, as we send them off, would you allow us to surround them with prayer, Lord, to surround them with encouragement and to, and to uh, support them in all that they're doing. God, would you be with this team? Would you give them not just traveling mercies? Yes, we ask for that. We ask that you keep them safe and guard them and protect them. But also, God, would you guide them? Would you uh, work in their hearts as they, as they share their faith, as they minister to those in a country that is so less fortunate than ours? Would you, would you mold their hearts to yours, God? Would you even allow the opportunities along this trip just to, to change them and, and to, to even set the course of their life on, on, on a journey to, to live their lives wholeheartedly for Jesus Christ? God, will we see so much fruit from this church and again, God, from this, from this trip. And again, God, we thank you. We thank you that we can uh, watch this happen and, and support them in this. And so, God, would you be glorified and will we hear so many stories of God at work, God at work in and through our students when they come back. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. 
All right, uh, new sermon series starting today, and it's an important one uh, for our church uh, as we reset and recalibrate our discipleship uh, course. And so you know as a church, we've said it from the beginning, we're a disciple-making church, and so we're still about that. What's our number one goal? We want to make disciples for Jesus Christ. We want to be disciples, and we want to make disciples. And up to this point in our church history, uh, we've been a part of uh, something called Harvest Bible Fellowship, and that was a, a movement we started with, and that uh, disbanded a couple of years ago, uh, a couple summers ago. And so since then, we've been a part of a ministry called the Great Commission Collective. And you heard, uh, saw it on the screen this morning of, of, it's basically the same thing, just in a different name, kind of a different governance model. And so we've been a part of the Great Commission Collective, and so... Um, same, same focus, six, six distinctives of the Great Commission Collective. Uh, what we are all about as churches is basically the same thing, just different, different verbiage. Uh, here's the philosophy of the Great Commission Collective. We're worshiping and sending churches with six distinctives. Uh, fervent prayer, uh, passionate worship, bold preaching, purposeful disciple-making, courageous evangelism, and strategic church planting. And, and so really not much has changed except for the, how we describe what we're about. If you recognize those things in our, in our uh, four pillars and three W's, you recognize all those same things. Uh, the difference is the new movement is that uh, each individual church now has the opportunity to express these things in their, own, in their own common language that's distinctive to us. And so whereas with Harvest before, we all had the same name, uh, we all had the same verbiage, no matter where you went, it was all the same. Uh, now, as long as these distinctives are a part of our DNA, we can express these as God leads us in their individual congregations. So you follow me? Same thing, different philosophy, different verbiage. And so we're going to maybe start looking at some things as elders of how we can live these things out unique to Harvest Niagara in the way that God has wired us and called us to be. And so that's an exciting thing for us. Now we get to, to kind of forge our path as God leads us. And so we're going to start changing some things. We're not going to change everything for the sake of change. Now that's not a good idea. But we may change our name here in the not-too-distant future like other churches have. Uh, but one of the things we are going to change is the way we talk about discipleship a little bit. Again, the same, same basic philosophy, but in, a, in maybe a, a fresh way, in a new way, in a way that really grabs onto our hearts here in Niagara. And so when we talk about being a disciple of Jesus, we would always use three W's. Who knows what they are? Three W's. What were they? That was quick, because she's on staff. <laughs> worship, walk, work. And, and that's what we want to be as disciples, right? We want to worship the Lord. We want to walk with Him. We want to work for Him. And yet, as I would express those things over and over, I found that those three words, they're biblical, they're right, they're good. They focused a lot on the doing part of being a disciple. Did you ever notice that? What are we as disciples? Well, here's what we do. We worship, we walk, and we work. And, and yes, yeah, good, but somehow I think... We can miss as we worship and as we walk and as we work, we can sometimes miss the heart behind what we do as disciples. You ever find that in your own life? You're doing all the right things, but somehow your heart isn't quite engaged. So you look at it, you're like, well, I'm a disciple, I worship. Check, showed up to church on Sunday, sang my heart out and played a few worship tunes during the week. Check. Well, I walk with Christ, I do my devos mostly every day, and I fellowship with other believers, so check. And I work, like I showed up for church for my duty. I, I did my Harvest Kids or my welcome ministry, and I serve outside the church, so check. And So I'm being a disciple. I'm being a disciple, yet somehow you wake up one morning, and you're like, but where's my heart in all this? You ever been there? I've been there. 
So we're doing discipleship instead of being disciples. And so we want to still do those things, but out of the overflow of the heart, what's the heart of being a disciple? What's the heart of truly following Jesus? It's, it's, it's delighting in Jesus, which leads to worship in Jesus. It's being devoted to Jesus in your hearts, a devotion to Jesus, which leads to, to our own personal walk and also living in, in community. And, and it's, let me think this, delight, devote, Display and it's displaying Jesus, not just working for Jesus, not just doing our time, but as we do that, we're displaying Jesus Christ. We're 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 serving Him, but with a goal of displaying Him to the world around us. And so, this is what we want to be as disciples. We're not called to be human doings; we're called to be human beings. And so, for the next four weeks, we're going to focus on these three things: our new three Ds. And look how that works to a discipleship: three Ds instead of three Ws. This is all easy for you to remember, right? Three Ds of discipleship. Why do we go to Ws? I don't know. Three Ds of discipleship: delight, devote, and display. Praying that we will be passionate followers of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. A follower of Jesus Christ that live with conviction, authenticity, and urgency. So the series title of this uh, for the next four weeks is going to be called I Follow Jesus. Why do we call it that? Because that's what being a disciple is. It's not a prayer we say. It's a heart attitude of, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give him my life 100%. And so we are going to start this morning with the first D, which is delight. The first D, which is delight. Let me ask you this as we begin our service this morning, our, our message. Are you truly delighting in Jesus as an everyday reality of your life? Or are you simply showing up for duty every day? Think about it. Are you truly delighting in Jesus every day of your life or are you somehow just showing up for duty? It's easy to shift from the time we become saved from delighting in Christ to just the duty. This is what I do. This is what a Christian does. Instead of of looking at Jesus and seeing the glory of who he is and having a heart that is truly encompassed with the living God. It's easy to get out of focus and out of whack. When was the last time you really encountered the Lord in a way that lit up your soul that you could say, man, I delight in Jesus. He moves my heart. He grabs my heart. It's an important question to ask yourself because delighting in God is actually what God created you for more than anything else. Delighting in God is what God created you for more than anything else. Listen to what the Westminster Shorter Catechism says. Man's chief end, our chief end, mankind's chief end, every man, woman, and child, our chief end is to glorify God and what? And to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Our relationship with God isn't supposed to be this like, ah, I'm a Christian. We're supposed to enjoy our relationship with God. It's supposed to motivate and move our souls. And so often I think even in the Christian church, pastors too, we just get into this doing, 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 and we forget the delight. God's greatest heart for us is to delight in him. One of the things around our house we do on Saturday mornings is uh, we have family breakfast together most Saturday mornings. I won't say all most. And so what I do on Saturday mornings, I get up bright and early, go play hockey. Well, sort of hockey. We call it hockey, but it's old man hockey. We skate around and shoot the puck around at each other a little bit. 
And I get home around 8.30, just in time for everyone else to be rolling out of bed. And so what I do Saturday mornings is make breakfast for our family. And it's just a time to be together. And then we have our family chores. Everyone do family chores on Saturday? Yep, we do too. We're such mean parents. We make our kids do chores even on Saturday. And yet, what's the whole goal of Saturday in our house? Our whole goal is to simply enjoy each other and have fellowship with each other and live as a, as a cohesive family unit. And so Saturday mornings when I get home, I start breakfast and my kids get up. And one of the first questions my kids usually ask me is, okay, Dad, what do we have to do today? What's the chores on the list today? And I'm usually like, guys, like today's Saturday. Like, like today we're going to do chores, but first and foremost, like go watch cartoons, do whatever you want. I'm making breakfast, and it's always different because I get bored quick. So I'm going to make something out of what's in the fridge, and we're going to have breakfast together. And, and what I want you to do today most, more than anything is just simply enjoy fellowship as a family. That's what I want to do today as a family. So they'll go do their chores, and we'll have nice family breakfast together, usually about 14 seconds because we all eat fast. And inevitably, my oldest son asks the next question, now what, Dad? My answer, I still want to like, enjoy today. I still want to do things together today. So here's what we're going to do today together. We're going to clean the garage. We're going to go to the dump, you know, and, and all these things. And my son's like, I knew it. <laughs> mean usually comes up somewhere in there. You're trying to ruin my day. And I'll look at him and say, Zach, Zach, I'm not trying to ruin your day at all. You know why I want to do chores together? You know why I want you to come to the dump with me? Not just because it's my second favorite place in the world. I love the well and dump. <laughs> so fun. You get to get rid of all your garbage. So clean. But because I want to do it with you. I want, to, I want you to enjoy you to enjoy me. I want to have fellowship with you. I don't want it to be a task. I don't want it to be a chore. I want to do this together because we love each other and this is what a father and son do together. He'll understand one day. But I tell you that because this is what God's heart for us is as followers of him. It's not just to show up for duty every day. You ever found that in your prayers? Okay, God, what do you want me to do today? And here's what I'm going to do today. I'm asking you for this and this and this. Then I'm going to do this, this, and this. And somehow I think we miss the fact that God, first and foremost, just wants us to enjoy his presence every day of our lives. Because he loves us. And because we love him, yes, we're his servants, but we're also his friends, and we're also his children. And so delighting in God, delighting in Jesus, is what he's created us to do. Think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He didn't create them so that they could do chores for him. He created them to have fellowship with them. Work wasn't... Work was part of the curse. It became hard as part of the curse. It was supposed to be a joy as they enjoyed the Lord. And so here's number one in your notes. God's highest priority for my life is to delight in him. God's highest priority for my life is to delight in him. I'm going to quote John Piper a few times because this seems to be the, the capture, the essence of his whole life work is to help, help believers see that, that the greatest endeavor of our lives is simply to see and enjoy God. Here's what Piper says. Grace is the pleasure of God. It's not just in the salvation. Grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving sinners the right and power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. Sometimes you got to say Piper's twice, right? Just to get it. Grace is the pleasure of God to magnify the worth of God by giving us sinners the right and the power to delight in God without obscuring the glory of God. 
This is our highest priority to delight in God. Look what it says in Psalm 37, verse 4. I'm just going to camp on verse 4 for a little bit and help you understand just the first five words of this verse. Look what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord. See that? This is the imperative to delight yourself in the Lord. Not like you have to, but you get to, because we're believers, we get to delight ourselves in the Lord. And look what it says next. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Most people I know that try and interpret this look at the second half of this verse and he's going to give you the desires of your heart. And you're like, okay, that means if I force myself somehow to delight in God, I can make him like a little string around my finger and I can get whatever I want. So I guess I'll I'll do that. I guess I'll delight in the Lord and, and somehow make God a means to my end. And yet here's the reality. The first part of this verse is where the whole verse is really about. It's delighting yourself in the Lord. He is the end of our means. When we get God, we get everything. When we delight in God, we have everything we could ever need. And then God somehow changes our heart to delight in his heart. And then he gives us what our hearts truly long for and need because it's him. He is it. I want you to delight so I get whatever I want. No, God is what we get because our greatest delight is in finding God. Delight yourself. Be happy about, find great pleasure in the reality that we can know God. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life. And in your presence, the psalmist saying to God, in his presence there is a fullness of joy. We're all looking for joy, aren't we? We all want joy. We all want to find joy. We find it in God and at his right hand, the verse says, are pleasures forevermore. This is telling us that God is not this boring old crotchety grandfather in heaven. In him is joy. In him is delight. And when we find him, we find what our souls truly long for. Delight yourself in the Lord. I know what some of you are thinking right now. Well, how can I delight in the Lord? I can't see him. I can't touch him. I can't feel him. I look around and there's people in my life that I can delight in. My my wife, my husband, my kids. I can delight in those people because I can see them. I can hang with them and Some of you are thinking right now, I look at other things I have, my pastimes, and I can delight in those things. Like It brings me great joy to delight in some of those pastimes I have or or the pleasures that I like. or I can even delight in progress and taking the business to the next level and trying to better myself. But how can I delight in the Lord? Let me be honest, you can't delight in the Lord if you don't know the Lord. You can't delight in the Lord if you're not looking to the Lord. But take your eyes off all of those things that you're tempted to delight in, which are a superficial delight. Turn your eyes to the Lord, and you'll find that you can't not not delight in the Lord. The key to this is delight in who? In the Lord. Delight in the Lord. Let's let's unpack who the Lord is for a moment. This is the key to delighting. It's not me going to tell you today, you have to delight in the Lord, you have to delight in the Lord. Let me paint for you a picture of who the Lord is in case you've forgotten. If you've never met him, you know all about him, but you never met him, just, just stop and listen to this for a moment. Once you meet the Lord, you'll see that, man, he is truly my delight. Let me unpack that, those two words for you, the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Let me introduce you to the Lord right now. Four things about the Lord that we uh, can see about him that is, sets him apart from every other thing or person in this world that, that, that shows us that he can be our true object of delight. Number one is this, his name is unmatched. 
This is the Lord. His name is unmatched. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as a son, Psalm 72, 17 says. Here's the name of the Lord. The Lord's name in the Bible is Yahweh. It's as close to a personal name as God has ever revealed to us, Yahweh. Yahweh, Jehovah, Lord, strictly speaking, in all caps, Lord. This is differentiated from Lord as in capital L, small O-R-D, which is uh, Adonai. This is, this is Lord. This is the, the great I am as uh, he introduced himself to Moses in Exodus 3, verse 14. This is the immediacy and the presence of our God, a God who's accessible the Lord, Yahweh. Listen to some of the derivatives of Yahweh that the scriptures, how the scriptures describe the Lord. Yahweh Jireh, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. Yahweh Nisi, the Lord our banner. Yahweh Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies or makes holy. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord our peace. Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. Yahweh Tiz. Kenu, the Lord our righteousness. Yahweh Rohi, the Lord our shepherd. Yahweh Shammah, the Lord is there, ever present. Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. This is the Lord. That's just some of the ways God's described the Lord. So often I think we think, you know, dear Lord, dear Lord, like, like hey, Daryl, like, no, 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 it's never dear Lord. It's, it's dear Lord. My Lord, my God. New Testament, we see God so clearly, not just by his names, but in person. Who's God in the New Testament in person? Jesus Christ. Yeshua. An exact imprint of God, which means to deliver or to rescue. There's a lot of great names we know out there, isn't there? There's a lot of great names. We think of Napoleon. We think of Shakespeare. You Google the greatest names that ever lived, and here's what you'll come up with. Lincoln and Hitler and Aristotle and Einstein and Newton and Columbus and Mozart. And the Christian world, we think Spurgeon and Luther. Those names have nothing compared to one name that's above every other name on the face of the earth, the one name that'll stand forever, the one name that is always gonna reign, the name, the Lord. The greatest name. Every other name will bow to this one name. All the wealthy are as paupers compared to this name. All powers are weak compared to this one name, the Lord. Isaiah 40 says he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his nations are like grasshoppers. The earth will bow down. The demons run and flee. The Lord. We can delight in him because his name is unmatched. We can delight in him because his character is unparalleled. Look what it says in 1 Chronicles 17, 20. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God besides you. 1 Samuel. Hannah prayed this. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no other name like God. There's no one that even compares, comes close to comparing to God. 13 times that phrase is used in the Bible. There is none like you. We use it for all call. There's no one like Gretzky. There's going to be another one like Gretzky. There's no one like my husband. Oh, there's going to be another one like your husband. There's no one like the Lord. His character is unparalleled. 
Think of this, the God of the Bible, the, our God, the God of the universe exists in three persons called the Trinity. God stands alone. No one else can ever claim this reality. God stands alone, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Here's what Trinity simply is. God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. God is three persons. Think about it. Each person is fully God. There is one God. I can't wrap my mind around that one, Pastor. You're not supposed to. Give me an illustration to make that work. There isn't really a good illustration because you can't even quantify the full reality of God. He stands alone. Listen to some of the character qualities of God. I know you know these, but bear with me. It's good to be refreshed in these things. I think sometimes we forget how awesome God is. We get our eyes on ourselves. We get our eyes on our circumstances. We forget how great our God is. Listen to some of the characteristics of God. There's none besides God. He's all-knowing. He's a true know-it-all in every good sense of the word. He has all wisdom. Take every piece of wisdom on that's ever been produced by anyone on this planet. Any book written, any, any song written, any blog, any journal article, put them all in a one great big library and stack it all up to God and they're like, that. They're, they're nothing because God is the source of all wisdom. He, all wisdom comes from God. God is truth. He doesn't just tell the truth once in a while. He is truth. He's the originator and the author of truth. God is love. He designed love. He defines love. He encompasses it completely. All love, even our little superficial attempts at human love, where do they come from? They come from God himself. Same thing with mercy. God of mercy and holiness. There is one person that's holy, one person who's absolutely good and set apart and pure. It's God. He's a God of peace and order. There's nothing chaotic or random in God's house, unlike my house and your house, or even his kingdom. He's a God of righteousness. It means he thinks and acts and responds rightly in every circumstance with just the right tone and just the right heart. That's our God. He's a God of wrath and justice. Well, how can that be good? He's so good, he hates evil. He doesn't just stand back and write a petition about evil. He does something about evil and he pours his wrath upon evil. It's a good quality, a good characteristic. He's infinitely powerful. Look up power in the dictionary and you should just have a picture of God. It's just say God. Forget about these guys who try to be a big muscle man. God's powerful. He's a God of perfection. There's no flaws and no failures and no frailties. Perfect 10 out of 10 on every test and every evaluation. What does God get every time? You don't have to look at it. 10. Mm, I think you'll get a 10 on this one. Blessedness and beauty and glory He's more beautiful or priceless than the most precious diamond. He's independent. He's self-contained. Needs nothing or no one. He's unchangeable. He's constant. He's not up and down. You don't have to wonder, well, on what side of bed God got out on today? God's the same. Even keeled. I wish I was like that. God's constant. He's unchangeable. He's eternal. He's timeless, although he chose to create time and act in it. God's omnipresent. God's unified. Jesus and God are one and the same. Everything that you say about God, he's the exact imprint. Jesus is all these same things. Always trying to impress each other, right? America's got talent. Well, who's got the most talent? Who cares? God trumps all of them. 
He's the smartest guy in the world. Who cares? God, God's got him trumped. This is God. This is why we delight in God. Even in the beauty pageants, you know, well, who's going to be the prettiest on the outside? Who cares? God's got, God's got beauty defined. He's beautiful outside, inside. He's awesome. God's character is unparalleled. His works are unprecedented. Hopefully you're getting a picture of God and hopefully it's just stirring your heart to delight in God today. I just want to tell you to delight in God. I want to show you why we delight in God. His works are unprecedented. Deuteronomy 3.24. Oh Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? What God is there in heaven and on earth that can do such works and mighty acts as yours? The answer is none. God's works are unprecedented. Think about God's works. Think about creation. Creation itself. This is God's works. Look around you. Everything you see is created by somebody. It's not something. It's, it's God himself. Think about creation. He spoke it into being. Like, like just a word. That's how powerful. Just a word spoke it into being. We take Genesis literally in our church because it says God spoke the world into being. So we believe. What do we believe? God spoke the world into being. Think about you and how often you talk and other people talk and you just can't match your actions with your words. We're all big talkers sometimes, right? And we just can't seem to make our actions match. Well, well, God's words are his actions and his actions are his words. He spoke the world into being. Think about he, how he, he just spoke the universe. 100 billion galaxies in the observable universe. God spoke those into being. The sun which gives life to earth and the moon and the stars. And he put it in its right spot with just the right amount of radiant heat coming from that sun. Stars, 100 billion stars, scientists estimate, 100 billion stars in each of the galaxies, 100 billion galaxies, 100 billion stars. That just is a number that just like, I didn't even calculate that number. I had to Google it. Gave me one in 10 to the power of 22. So like 10 with 22 zeros. What number is that? I have no idea. It's too big for me. This is God. He created. Think, think, of, think of all the things you've seen as you walk around this earth and all the different species of animals. Apparently there's 6.5 million different species of animals on the earth right now. 2.2 million species in the oceans and the waters. Think of the mountains and the valleys and the rivers and you go outside in creation, you're just like, wow, this is beautiful. Where did it all come from? It came from God. This is a picture of Colorado, apparently the most beautiful place on earth. Like, just wow, God created this. The pinnacle of his creation was who? Mankind. Man and woman's the pinnacle of his creation. And 7.7 billion people on this earth, according to the world, the world watch clock of population, 7.7 billion people, every single one of them unique with different, different features, different characteristics, different nationalities, different backgrounds. Think of the uniqueness of, of a God who creates all these things. No designer can come up with 7.7 billion different designs for a t-shirt or something. No composer can come up with 7.7 billion different songs. And this is just on the earth right now. Painting a picture of God, the majesty of God created us in his image. But creation wasn't the best of his works. What's the best of his works? The, the, the grand pappy of them all, it's, it's redemption. So God just didn't create, he redeemed. 
created us because of sin. We fell away from God. There's this massive separation between us and God. Perfect being, imperfect people. How can we ever bridge this chasm? We can't. So what did God do? His greatest work? He sent his very own son from heaven to earth to walk amongst us, to live the life that he designed for us to live in perfection that we couldn't do, that he would then die and take the penalty for our sin, the one that we deserve. That's his greatest act, is he redeemed us. He saved us for all who put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ. His greatest act comes in redemption, the justification, the instantaneous legal act of God that when you confess your sins and ask him to be Lord of your life, he declares us righteous. He forgives our sin. He declares us righteous as a result of Jesus Christ. Greatest deed is sanctification. The process of which we become more and more free of sin and more and more like Jesus. Glorification when one day he's going to come back and we're going to be perfect in our bodies and perfect in our souls and we're going to be in his presence forever. This is why we delight in God. He's, his works are unparalleled. He created, he redeemed. For the religious people here, like, oh, brother, he redeemed. Give me another story. Like, I've heard this before. But for the saved here, we're like, wow, he redeemed me. Like, there's something that goes off in our hearts. of like, yes, that's why he's awesome. He created and he redeemed me. It's never, eh, I'm redeemed then you never really maybe met God. I was reading this week about the uh, sex, slave, sex slavery in, in Ghana. I don't know how I came across the article, but it was an article about a guy named uh, Chris Insato, and he founded Rural Evangelism Crusaders, which is now OM Ghana, and that's been going around for quite some time, and he's rescuing uh, boys and girls who have been taking sex slaves uh, from northern Ghana, and just reading the article, just a short article, it was in a magazine I had gotten, it's just amazing to me, just... A, the horrific nature of what sex slavery is should cause us to be disgusted and want to do something about it. But then the nature of what this guy was willing, this Chris guy was willing to do to, to, to make a difference in, student, in, these, in these kids' lives. And so what would happen is the, the traders, the sex, the prostitutes, the pimps, whatever, would go and, and they'd kidnap them out of villages and then they'd put them in these brothels and, and tell them that, you know, if you... If you try and run away, we're going to kill your parents or they're going to, you know, have something horrible to happen to them or they go and tell their parents that they were in prostitution so that their parents wouldn't want them back. They'd basically just captivate them and, and trap them so that they're trapped in this lifestyle. So what Chris would do is he and his team would go and they'd find these kids on the streets and they'd rescue them. They'd, they'd smuggle them out of there. They'd take them to safe houses. They'd train them and disciple them and equip them to set them free. What a powerful work, hey? I try to put myself in one of the the shoes of maybe a child who is in that predicament, scared, hopeless, devastated, and trying to picture how I would feel towards Chris if he rescued me and brought me in and then set me free. I'm pretty sure I'd put a picture of him on my wall somewhere for the rest of my life. I'm pretty sure that God would be here and this Chris and Sato guy would be right about here. But this in reality is what, what Jesus has done for us by coming to earth. He didn't just redeem me. He paid the penalty for my sin. He came and rescued me from Satan who had me in bondage, who had all kinds of evil plans for my life, was destroying my life, and he rescued me out. He brought me in, called me his own, only to set me free to live life the way God intended. How can we not delight in a God who would do that for us? 
That's why Hannah said in 1 Samuel 2.1, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. I rejoice. I delight in the salvation of God. Here's the last one of this section. His personal closeness is undeniable. Here's why I delight in God. This is all about the Lord. This is about those two words there in Psalm 37, verse 4. Just so you know, I'm not just like going random. This is all about the Lord. Delight yourself in who? The Lord. Isaiah 40, 11, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who, who are with young. His personal closeness is undeniable. The Bible actually talks about God in both the fatherly sense and the motherly sense, not trying to put a masculine or feminine on God, but we're trying to say that he encompasses everything of parenthood. He loves his children. Yes, God is transcendent. He's greater than all his creation. He doesn't need his creation, but he's also imminent. He chooses to be actively involved and exist within his creation. God just didn't put the pot on the stove and leave, leave it to see what would happen. He's actively stirring it and monitoring the temperature and caring for it to make sure it turns out exactly as he desires it to turn out. And God's the same in our lives. He just doesn't leave us hanging. He's not consumed with running the universe and well, he's so busy with all the other things, why would he care about me? Because he has the capacity to run the universe and care about you and I. As evidenced by Jesus, he's eager to be actively involved in our lives. Think about the personal closeness of Jesus Christ to us in your life, in my life. This isn't just contingent on whether things are good right now. Whether everything's going to work out the way we expect in our lives. This is contingent on Jesus. This is not even contingent on whether he's going to hold on to you. Here's how close God is to you right now through his son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's how close God is to you. He's eager to be actively involved in our lives. He treats me like his very own. He hears and answers my prayers. He cares for my physical essentials. He provides me with every spiritual blessing. He understands my struggles and my pain. It's getting personal now, isn't it? This, this is why we delight in God. Who, who, who else can do these things in our lives? There's, some people might sort of understand, but only God can fully understand my struggles and my pains of which we all have. Promises to never abandon me. If you're his child and even if you want to abandon him, he won't abandon you. He assures me of ultimate victory. Satan might win some battles, but God assures you through Jesus Christ that ultimate victory is yours. Awesome, don't you think? Just look at that list again. I don't supposed to love Jesus, but I find it really hard because I have all these, I'm super busy and I got all these things going on and I got all these people in my life. And, and so God kind of gets shoved to the background. And I'm not supposed to delight in him, but don't tell me to delight in him again, Pastor. You really got no reason to delight in him. Here's, here's, like, here's like some reasons right here to delight in Jesus. He's our Father. God the Father is our Father. Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this as we get to the end of just this little section here. Have you been running through life, reporting for duty, and forgetting about delighting in just the simple reality that this is my God? 
that's true of you today. Ask God to stir your heart again for the full reality of who he is. You see God, you can't help but have an awe of who he is and a delight in him. Just look at this list alone. Uh, we have a loving father who has our back. You can wake up and remind yourself every day, my number one task for today is simply to delight in God. Fear can take a back seat. Insecurity can get out of here because God promises to go with us through the thick and thin. And God promises us, according to this verse, when we turn our hearts to him and delight in him, I will find my ultimate fulfillment. The second point here, my ultimate fulfillment is found in personal praise. I hope I don't have to tell you to praise God now. I hope you can just stop and see, well, wow. I hope you are praising God already in your seat. This is our ultimate fulfillment. We don't need to find fulfillment in anything else today. We find our fulfillment in God alone. All those other things we aim for are superficial. They're empty. They're temporary. They won't fully satisfy your soul. Only God can. And this is why we as people want to delight in God, not just Sunday morning, but every day of our lives. To delight in God is to encounter God. Here's Psalm 145. You can flip over there with me. Psalm 145. Spent a little longer on that first part here, so we have to whip through the second part. But Psalm 145, I'm even okay with that. If you have a picture of God leaving this place, if you have a picture of God, I know that the work has been accomplished in your heart. If you have a sense of just, if I stop now and you're like, yes, then this, is, this has been a successful service. So we're going to skip through a couple of these things quickly and then we'll continue worshiping. We've set up our service today so we can worship at the end as much as we worship at the beginning so you can respond to these things. Here's what it says in Psalm 145, verse 1 to 3. I will extol you, my God and my King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I will extol you. I will lift you up. I'll exalt you. I will bless you. What's bless mean? I thought God blessed us. Here's how we bless God. We salute him. That's what it means. Blessed to salute God. I will salute you. How often are we supposed to do this? Forever and ever, every day, we're to delight in God and praise his name forever. To acknowledge him in everything so that there's no more compartments in our lives. When we wake up in the morning, what's our number one goal? Again, John Piper, to praise God is to prize God. Our number one goal every day is to simply prize God. I don't know what's going to happen today, God, but I know this, that I'm going to hold on to you and I'm going to prize you and you're going to be above everything else in my heart. Try to make a practice of that every day in the last few months, just waking up and saying, God, I don't know, I don't know what today holds. There could be some bad news today, there could be some good news today, but it doesn't matter. I, I have you and that's all I need. We all value something, worship, worthship. We all put highest worth on something. Are you putting your highest worth on God or on something else? God calls us to prize him. He desires us to prize him above all else. Well, how do you do that in a busy day? You simply are mindful of God throughout the day as you go throughout your daily activities. You, you, you prize God in your hearts. I prize God in my heart and it, really prizing God, it comes out in what I say and what I do and how I act and even how I sing. And even how I feel, you prize God in these things. It's a reflection of your heart and your reflection of your heart goes everywhere you go. You don't have to compartmentalize God. Well, I'm going to delight in God for this hour and the rest of the day I'm going to do that. No, it's, it's all day long we delight in God. We delight in God in our, in our hobbies. How do we delight in God in our hobbies? 
I'm not thinking about God while I'm doing my hobbies. Well, God delights in you using your gifts and abilities and enjoying life. That's delighting in God. How do I delight in God at my, my hired occupation or my work? You, you delight in God at your work by thanking him for your job and going to your work and doing it, as Colossians 3 says, to the best of your ability to glorify God. Because I can't think of God all day long. I can't delight in God while I'm at work. I've got so much stuff to do. Do it with all your heart, and you're actually delighting the Lord and bringing delight to the Lord. Delighting God in our homes. Your, our home should be a place that God is delighted to visit, where he is lifted high, where the word is, is preached, where worship happens. Even delight in God by looking forward to heaven. This earth is not all there is to our lives. Thank the Lord for that. It is great. It's fantastic. We have our moments. But heaven is what we long for. Heaven is what we wait for. That brings God glory and delight. Why? Because we know that our life's not complete until we're together with him in glory. Let me ask you this. As you think of prizing God, take everything away. Take everything away. And would you be satisfied with just God? Take everything away. Would you be satisfied with just God? Interesting how God brings us through seasons sometimes where he takes almost everything away and says, are you just satisfied with me even if life doesn't get better after this? Are you be satisfied with just me? That's prizing God. Here's the last one quickly. How do we live this out? Here's who we delight in. How do we live this out? We find spiritual power through gathered worship. We find spiritual power through gathered worship. Delighting in God is an everyday thing in our hearts, in our homes, in our hobbies, in our hired occupations, in longing for heaven. But we also find spiritual power when we gather together with believers to worship God, to delight in Him. Worshiping and delight in God is so much more than singing. You worship and delight in God when you get with other believers and talk about Him. You worship God and delight in God when you pray with other believers, when you, when you point unsaved people to God, when we have spiritual conversations. But we also, we also find spiritual power when we come and gather together for worship. Listen to what it says in Psalm 95, verses 1 to 7. Flip over there with me. Psalm 95, verses 1 to 7. I'll wait until your pages stop turning or your phone's ding or something to tell you you're there. <laughs> this is God's word to us. We often look at, at delighting God. It's an individual thing. It's just for me and God. Yes, it is, but it's more than that. God has created us to delight in him in a corporate gathering. Oh, come, let, what's the word? Us, North American individuality and individualism. Doesn't really fly what the Bible calls us to be. Come, let us Sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. That's for us guys who can't sing. We just make joyful noises. God's honored by that. To the rock of our salvation, let us come. How do we come? Into his presence. We gather that other believers are coming to the presence of God with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Why? For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for he is, here it is, our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Delighting in God is every day, in your quiet time, in your home, as you go throughout your week, but it's also making coming together as a corporate gathering 
a priority in our lives because something happens when we come together that doesn't happen anywhere else even in our worship with God. God's designed it that way so that we can't live this life all by ourselves as we're tempted to do. And so we make something special happen when we come together to worship Him. And it's like this, if you're worshiping all week long, and you have this heart that's turned to the Lord, and you're trying to prize him above everything else. It's like, it's like you got this, this, this torch of fire in your heart that's just a burning. It's like everybody on corporate worship Sunday comes together, you put your torch in the middle of the fire, and what happens? Your, little, your little, little torch makes a little bit of heat, makes a little bit of light. You put all your torches in that fire, and what happens? The whole thing, bonfire for real. And that's what happens in corporate worship. But it's all of a sudden this, this fire of God's Holy Spirit and the passion for the Lord just takes off in our hearts and we fuel each other's fire. We inspire each other to go hard after the Lord as we worship together. Worship as a part of the Christian experience is central to our lives. If you don't like worship and worship services, it doesn't matter what songs we sing or how we sing them, fast or slow or old or new. If, if you're struggling with worship, then you're going to struggle with heaven a lot. Heaven's not just worship. It's going to be a worship service like you've never experienced before in your life. It's going to be awesome. You thought your wild rock concert was good at the light shows and the smoke and all those things. I didn't want that to end. You're not going to want worship in heaven to ever end. Because Jesus is going to be right there and you're going to be looking at him while you're worshiping him. You're looking at the throne of God while you worship God. And all we get to do is kind of practice. We're the choir, we're kind of choir practice right here. To get ready for that moment, we can truly worship God face to face. Jesus, in the midst of his people, is a powerful reality for the Christians as we worship together. Here's four quick things just to help you understand the magnificence of the priority of worship. I'm hearing a lot about home church these days, and home church is the way to go, and, and the church is so corrupt, and blah, 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 blah. And, and yeah, the church is broken for sure, because we're all broken people. But we can't escape what God has designed for us. The church is God's idea, not ours. Church structure and leadership are God's idea, not ours. Pastors are a role God put into place. It wasn't my job. I, I didn't even call myself to this role, to be honest. <laughs> this is what you're going to do. Okay, Lord, with joy. <laughs> but yet there's something about corporate worship that's so important. Here's, here's four things that as I study this week, I realized this come from different, different men that are smarter than I am, just rewarded them in my own way. Here's why it's important for you to make corporate worship a priority, to delight in God together through worship. Number one, it energizes our faith. How many times have you walked into this place, you're tired, you're complacent, you're just plain old grumpy, and you leave this place fired up for the Lord? It's, it's like, the, it's like the, you know, the, the, you're not supposed to put, the, when you jump, jump, jump in a car, you're not supposed to put the two together that are the same. Is that right? I don't do it. I let someone else do it. Is that the same? Is that right? You're not supposed to put the two together the same when you're trying to jumpstart a car? Right? Well, put them together and you get a spark, right? This is what it does. It's a corporate worship. It puts a spark in our heart for the things of God. It creates a spark that we can't create on our own. It strengthens our, our resolve. It reminds us that we're not in this all by ourselves as we follow Christ. How many times have you walked through life feeling all alone? You're all alone at your work. You're all alone in your little unique situation. You come to church, you see all kinds of people from all different backgrounds, and we're all worshiping the same God. You realize that, man, I am not alone. Corporate worship, unparalleled, that builds our unity. We're so good at doing things on our own for ourselves. And I do things my way. You ever said that? I do things my way. It's my way. It's my way or the highway. You come to church and all of a sudden, like, 
Nope, somebody's leading us and we either get on the train or we get off. And that's good for us to come and build unity together. It's not my plan, it's not your plan, it's God's agenda as we worship him. It builds our unity, it reminds us who's really in charge and what our role is. We get to interact with others and follow others' lead. Here's another one, it amplifies our joy. Get in a room with two or three hundred voices and something awesome happens. It just gives joy to our souls. You don't have to go to a conference to have passionate worship that changes your heart. You just come to church. I can't wait to the next conference. No, come to church and engage your heart in church and you'll find the exact same experience because we sing all the same songs at conferences that we do here. Come to church fired up and ready to sing and you'll find the exact same reality because we're not, it's not about a conference, it's about the God that we worship. And finally this, it honors the Lord. God smiles when his people, when his disciples, when his followers just want to worship him in spirit and truth. It just honors the Lord. It shows him that we truly are getting underneath him and we're exalting him and lifting him high. This is part of our Christian experience. We don't just do the little dances of joys at home. Those are good little dance parties of your family worshiping the Lord. We come together to worship the Lord. This is the way God's designed it, that your life will only be fully complete and satisfied in him when you personally praise him and when you corporally come to worship Jesus Christ. And we want to be followers of Christ. We don't want to be fans of Christ. We don't want to be lukewarm, bandwagon followers of Jesus Christ. We want to follow Jesus Christ. We want to know Jesus fully. We want to experience him completely in this life. Amen? Amen. You know where it starts? For you and I, delighting in Jesus. Are you delighting in Jesus today? Or are you showing up for duty, wondering why there's no joy, why there's no power, how everybody else seems to be getting something you're not? Here's where it starts. Just simply wake up tomorrow morning and do this. God, today, I want to delight in you. Today, I want you to be my most prized possession. Like the guy who finds the field. Remember he finds the field, finds the treasure in the field in Matthew 13? He goes and sells everything he has and comes back and says, this is what I want because this is worth more to me than anything else. God, today you're going to be worth more to me than anything else in everything else. Despite myself, you're going to be my most prized possession today. Wake up and do that every day and your delight will change and come to church and throw that on the plate as we worship and our worship will change for the glory of Jesus Christ. What's a, worship, what's a follower of Jesus Christ do? Yeah, we worship, but it comes from a heart that's delighting in him. It's not a song we sing. It's a heart that delights in the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ.